Welcome to the Renegade Reports. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And Jonathan, it is EFF Red Friday. Very excited, Ramon. As you can see, I'm not wearing red. And neither am I. I don't have red clothes. <laughs> no, I gen- generally avoid communists' colors. Yeah, so, and I don't own overalls because I don't work that hard. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, so Julius came out during the course of this week or last week where he said, um, you know, black South Africans will be free once they can hire white domestic workers. Of course they will. Which is a curious thing to say because he's basically a white supremacist. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll only be free once we've subjugated the white people. Well, no, he's inferring that white people are superior because they are not domestic workers. Well, and there are white domestic workers, of course. Uh, yeah, all, all over the world, as far as I'm aware. But, but importantly, he had a tweet, when was it? Last year, where mm. he says, for the first time in my life, I will not stand down for white people. I feel like I'm equal to them. So this man, has a real inferiority complex. Yeah, I was going to say his insecurities. But look, I mean, his insecurities have driven his entire party. Uh, it's uh, it's essentially a political party dedicated to the insecurities of Julius Malema. Right, and and it's a you know an ideology of of of, of victimhood at the end of the day, which is very popular these days. You know, thanks mm. to Jesse Smollett and uh, well, Julius is quite a victim. I mean, he's he you know he had a tough uh, tough upbringing, no dad, I think, uh, uh, not much of a family life as far as I understand, and uh, uh, yeah, just uh, not a very clever kid. Couldn't couldn't pass matric. Really. Yeah, but think about it. So no no real family, so to speak. Goes to the ANC, that becomes his family. Mm. That becomes and, his and, cult. And Jacob, his daddy. And then the ANC tell him, well, you know, you're causing shit, so out you go. And now all he wants to do is get back in. And he's doing whatever he can, acting out like a petulant toddler mm-hmm. to get back in. So, you know, and this man is probably the most effective political leader in South Africa at the moment, I would argue. Oh, yeah. Messaging. He's brilliant at messaging. But he's still a broken person. So what does that say about the other political parties that are less effective? <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're certainly very poor at dealing with, as you say, an individual who's a broken person and they can't seem to overcome him. Yeah, because I think we can easily uh, – oh, what is it? Kill shots. Yes. Scott Adams talks about kill shots, linguistic kill shots. Mm. And Donald Trump calls people like crooked Hillary. Yeah. Like it, it works really well at a psychological level. Yeah. But no one has done that to him on a psychological level. Maybe we should try. Well, we can certainly try. Uh, I don't think any of our political parties will. Uh, I think that's that's uh, unlikely to happen. They all seem to be quite cordial with each other most of the time. Uh, occasionally, um, you'll get someone like John Stian Hazen saying something a little bit biting uh, in Parliament. But well, you called them Teletubbies once, mm. which was funny, <laughs> and the EFF got really offended. Yes, that was a that was a linguistic kill shot. But uh, more of that, absolutely. Grow some balls. Political parties become like us. We're popular. <laughs> well, do you want to introduce our guest? Since, Talking about uh, politics. Since we have a politician in studio. So he's gone to the dark side. I think side. he might, he might not appreciate that, that description. No, so he's gone to the dark side. He's becoming a politician or has become one. But Rob Hutchinson joins us this week, who has many, many years of uh, civil activism under his banner and now Deputy Secretary of COPE. And co-founder of Alta. Welcome, Rob. Hi. Hi, Ramon. Thanks for having me. No, it's Hi, good Rob. to have you on here. So, and a lot of people don't know you that well. Like, I only know you because a friend of mine knows you and he said, 
Rob's a good guy to to chat to. So let's talk a little bit about your your civil activism. Like, what makes you think civil society has such an important role to play in a so-called liberal democracy like ours? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, Civil society holds all the power, as far as I'm concerned. Politicians are just there to supposedly be uh, civil servants, although they seem to be taking the more authoritarian role lately. But ultimately, the civil society holds the power to make the decisions, to influence the way policy is supposed to go, and pay the taxes which pay the salaries of, of the politicians. So if you don't please civil society, then you're on, on the losing side instantly. Well, that, that, that may be true as a theory, but in South Africa, we have certainly haven't seen that as the reality mm. on the ground. Uh, we've had civil servants, well, I would argue since the establishment of this uh, state as a republic, um, who believe that they know better. They are certainly not representatives of their uh, communities. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even know who their representative is in parliament. Mm-hmm. And uh, they think they know better, usually. Uh, they th- seem to think civil servant refers to, you know, getting a nice house, car, and a good salary and telling uh, people on Twitter that they're racist. Um, and that's really their role in life, and, and, and they'll tell you better. And so civil society is often... Uh, while you say they, they have the power, I think they should have the power, mm. but they certainly are ignored most of the time. Yeah, well, I think it's because civil society doesn't realize that they have the power, first of all. We're stuck in the whole mindset of uh, traditional leaders where who are supposed to guide us. And uh, the problem becomes where people can't separate the, the party from the state. And it becomes almost a religious belief that I have to follow this party and they're there to guide me. Whereas... They don't understand democracy in, in the, the true sense it's supposed to be, whereas w- we have the power as civil society. You you will follow us. Um, I, I, I hate the phrase where, that, that people use where we have leaders because they're not leaders. I'm not a leader. I'm, I'm just there to serve the public, but the public needs to understand that and re, really realize that. Re-realize, is, is, is that a word? But, <laughs> but that's what they need to do. They need to understand, go back to what, what we used to believe and say, you know, this, this is how, how it's supposed to be. This is, you're not there to, to, to lead us as, as, as a government. I need to understand what a government is. It's not, to rule over, over people in any way whatsoever. It's to just uh, set laws that guide people in a relaxed way, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, but I mean, I used to believe that. And then with, with absolute respect, and then like I grew mm. up to be like an adult, and I could see that the state is just an institution of theft and coercion. Um, it's it's a monarchy, except that you're able to, to vote once in a while, and that makes it legitimate. Like... The legitimacy of the state, it has a lot of resources to reinforce that legitimacy through, through PR, through enforce, through coercion, through taxation, through theft. So, I mean, I accept that, but I mean, is there anywhere in the world where you would think that a state is actually a representative for the people it supposedly serves? Because well, I don't know if that exists in, in, in a real sense. No, no, well. I think it all starts off with good intentions, but unfortunately, positions of power attract corrupt people. And, you know, the narcissistic type or the pathological or psychological type will, will be attracted to that and uh, try and rule over people in, instead of uh, serving them. 
Um, that, that old saying that, that ultimate power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely is unfortunately very true. Once you're in that inner position of, of power and you are exposed to uh, all the means and money and, and everything else necessary, it becomes too easy to actually abuse that position of power. And what happens in civil society is we tend to elect uh, leaders and then just step back and, let, and expect them to do to lead lead us, and we don't get involved in in what how in how we should do in 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 the proper decision making processes and, and and everything else that needs to happen, and that's that's a fault. So we step back, expect them expect them to carry on as as they are, guide guide us in the way that they think we should be guided. And we just accept it. And before we know it, we're too far down that line to actually be able to make a difference. I think most people, though, want to just live their lives. We've, we've made this point on the show many times before. They just want to get on with it. They want to live their lives, do what's important to them, um, uh, get involved in the things they're interested in and not get involved in the things they're not interested in. Uh, most South Africans, uh, most citizens anywhere in the world, are not really interested in building roads. Uh, they're not particularly interested in where the power lines go. Uh, they just know they want power, but they, they don't care what they traverse. Um, and, you know, a million other examples. So they sort of elect someone who they assume will decide what roads need to be built, when, where, where the electricity power lines run, when, where, um, how the water is dealt with, uh, all these basic sort of services. Uh, and that's what they kind of expect of their government. Uh, and so that's, they go to the polls, uh, you know, the responsible citizen, so to speak. So, you know, Ramon's not responsible at all, but the responsible <laughs> citizen goes to the polls. Highly irresponsible. There you go. He, the responsible citizen, so to speak, goes to, goes to, goes to the polls, uh, you know, once every four or five years, depending on the country, and then they vote, and then they think that that problem is now solved, okay? Uh, and they, they then let these people take over and, and do what they do. Um, the reality is that don't then dis- they don't then actually decide on the roads and the power lines and all that stuff. They may along the way, uh, but they end up enacting weird and wonderful legislation. Uh, this is the yeah. problem with legislators. They legislate. Um, and, and so you end up with this, this massive sort of governmental system, uh, which actually, if you ask most people if they wanted a lot of the laws that get passed, they'd be like, why do we need a law for that? Why do we need, mm. you know, a thousand pages describing how you recycle plastic? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, when you've got to sort of balance, balance the laws between those that protect the state and those that protect the people. And as, as we drift more towards a more totalitarian state, you see more laws that are, are brought about to protect the state and at the expense of the people. People just sort of become there to fund the state through the, through the taxes. And again, I think it's because people don't get involved enough and they make those assumptions that all governments are good. They're there to do after my best interest. And that's terrible. <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, they, they're not at the end of the day. And I shouldn't possibly not be saying that, but you know, governments tend to drift towards a totalitarian state or mindset no matter what happens. Because as society becomes more unruly or more aware, the mere fact that uh, civil society out vastly outnumbers government, government has to uh, in- instill more and more and more uh, controlling laws to protect themselves from an uprising that, that, that might happen. Yeah, and it's interesting to see, based on, on real-life examples, the differences that people um, look at between Maduro and Macron. 
So Maduro of Venezuela, a horrible dictator, terrible. He's cutting off aid and shooting people in the streets and it's terrible. Macron and the Gilets Jaunes protest, sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you, they, they just pass a law that, that sort of really dilutes the right to protest in France based on the Gilets Jaunes protesters. And the Gilets Jaunes have blinded hundreds of people by shooting people in the eye with rubber bullets and, and, and breaking bones of, of like. You talk about the police have blinded hundreds yeah, of people. Yeah. The police in France have, mm-hmm. have, have utterly decimated some of these protesters using methods that are, well, it's pure assault. It's, it's assault GBH. People could get killed. I don't know if anyone has been killed as yet. No. But the, in, in terms of principle, it is the same thing. Mm. Except Maduro is not seen as legitimate, whereas Macron is seen as legit, legitimate. But as soon as there's an uprising, they, the state has all these resources and power to quell that sort of uprising. But if the yeah. state goes against you, you, you fucked. Yeah. You're really screwed. Mm. That asymmetry is a real problem. But that, that's exactly how it happens because you start off with uh, sort of laws that are balanced, whereas the, the, the people and the, and the state have the same sort of same, same same power. But eventually, eventually it becomes more totalitarian, as I was saying before. And then, then it leads to that situation where people feel oppressed because there are just too many laws. And people who are oppressed are always going to fight back at what? some stage. And it just starts with one or two or three and eventually it's, it's a snowball effect where there's people are attempting to overthrow the state. Well, and perhaps legitimately too. Well, what do you think of the, the argument now against populism? So, uh, populism is, is the sort of one of the buzzwords of the past couple of years. Uh, people argue that uh, Trump happened because of populism, mm. Brexit happened because of populism, certain elections in Europe have happened because of populism. Um, they're using that as a negative term. Um, but what I'm hearing is you have governments who over decades have abused the populace and abused the trust placed in them by mm-hmm. the populace. And so what is ultimately happening is these people are standing up and going, no, no, no more. Uh, in the example of Trump, we don't want an insider anymore. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be the greatest guy. Yeah, he's been bankrupt a whole bunch of times. But you know what? He's not part of the Clinton dynasty. He's not Mm. part of the Bush dynasty. He's not part of the Washington dynasty. So screw you. Um, In the case of Brexit, a similar thing. We're not going to be told what to do by a super government that sits uh, a thousand miles away Mm. in in another city. Um, So we're going to do our own thing. Thanks very much. Um, And this is us sort of standing up for our rights. So, so where do you think the line is there on populism, the bad and populism, actually civil society standing up and saying, Hey, enough. Now we, we're taking control. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's an interesting, interesting point because to me, populism is more, uh, marketing kind of based and you get pop populism on the left and populism on the right. Mm-hmm. And if you, the, the way, whole, the way society has changed now, where you've got social media, which is, a fantastic tool or the worst tool in the world, which, which is where you look at it yeah. and uh, traditional forms of marketing coming into, into political play now. Um, you have to take it up a populist approach, which appeals to, to the majority. Some people are not going to like it, but you know, because it's populist, the majority that you want will, will, will relate to it. People have become pretty shallow when it comes to uh, political ideals and they don't scratch deeper than, than, than the surface. So 
populism sits right on the top of the of the surface there and appeals to my my easiest sense or my my easiest or my top ideology as as a member of the public and if you if you can appeal to to my top ideology and and show that it's being threatened by someone else and that I have the solution although it might be a populist approach I'm going to go for it I won't think further than that because it, it appeals directly to me instantly so populism is is necessary I think um but it can lead to very very uh, poor decision making when it comes to voters actually deciding who to vote for yeah i mean i mean so far populism has gone largely Right. That's mm. weird. Maduro mm. is a socialist dictator, but he's not a populist. They never say, oh, he's a populist. He is. Although Chavez was a populist, right? Yeah. I mean, mm. th- th- that's the essence of populism, right? Yeah. Chavez and Maduro and all these leftist socialists on, on the left. But when Salvini wins Italy, oh, he's a populist. And it appears that the word is used to describe a democratic process that people don't like. Blue check box on Twitter. They don't like it, but it's democratic. They can't call it like a dictatorship. So, mm. oh, well, it's just populist. The problem is the populist Salvini has 65% approval. Macron has less than 20%. And Macron was a shining light of centrism. And, and you know, people are trying to, to get him out because he wants to increase the price of diesel mm. uh, due to the EU and, and, you know, climate change. But what people are worried about Right now is I hope that was caught on camera by the way. <laughs> climate change. Climate change. <laughs> climate change. I mean to, to assume that you increase the price of diesel to fight climate change is fucking retarded. Yeah, I'm sorry. I agree with you. It really is. For thirty years the French people I mean I, I my grand my family lives there. For thirty years the state has put increases on petrol for the mm. longest time to curb lead and shit like that. And they say, you know, a good alternative is diesel. So for thirty years people have been dying buying diesel cars by the millions mm. And then Now there's a sudden switch Oh no actually Diesel's the worst So now we're going to Increase mm. diesel dramatically You're like Well fuck me Because diesel was never the best Because the, the company, car companies Were lying about the emissions <laughs> Exactly But now For 30 years You've been telling me bullshit You've been lying to me So I invested Hundreds of thousands of euros In cars You know For 30 years And now you turn around And say Oh actually we just lied But don't worry We'll just increase the price of diesel So now you can go back to petrol And people are like No fuck you Enough of, enough of this. <laughs> I, um, think, yeah. I don't know what my point is. Well, <laughs> I, I think you've made a good point about yeah. populism and that right. when, when there is a breaking point in every society. Yeah. Um, I, I, we were talking about it before the show. I don't think, for example, diesel is the breaking point in South Africa. It was in, in France. Um, and in uh, immigration, for example, is argued as the breaking point for Brexit. Uh, and, uh, well, there's several factors to Trump. But, but – in South Africa, you know, what do you think are the breaking points for South Africans and their civil society rise? Um, what do you think are the things that would make people go, you know what, I'm done? I mean, we've had a lot of problems in South Africa. We've had a, a president who, who, who stole us, stole the country blind for, for 10 years. Um, we've got a political party who's stolen the country blind for 25 years. Um, and before that, a political party who stole the country blind for 50 years. Uh, so we've had we've had major issues. Uh, um, a rise of civil society actually caused the end of that previous government, uh, that and sanctions. Um, so what do you think is the is the thing that finally makes people go, you know what? Actually, I'm not just going to accept it anymore. I'm not just going to go to the polls and keep voting for that stupid wagon wheel. Um, I'm done. Well, I think there's there, there might be several answers to that question. 
because we're such a diverse society, it, there might be different different aspects which appeal mm. to different sectors. Yeah, I think for for the middle class, it's without a doubt it taxes. There's no doubt about that. I think there's we are really a heavily taxed nation, and the solution to to the government's problem seems to be add more taxes here, add more taxes there. In a state that's running out of money rapidly, um, the middle class is is being burdened with un- totally unnecessary taxes. We've seen new taxes coming in now, the carbon tax, and that's already put a ten oh, ten cents increase on diesel. Funny enough, and um, there's got to come a point where where businesses or big business owners or even individuals are going to say enough, enough. We recently saw Helen Zoll. Uh, Rightfully saying, <laughs> the only thing that's going to solve wants a, the problems she wants a tax country. boycott. Yeah. Just on that quickly, uh, we, let's get back to some of the other solutions. But you've mm. spoken about the middle class. My only problem is when you mention business, because mm. in my opinion, business is completely cowardly. Uh, big business certainly. Small businesses, we're going to have someone on the show uh, mm. next week, and 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 that's an entirely different space, the small and medium business space. But big business um, just doesn't have any balls. And so when taxes get too much, all that will happen is they'll stop renting their building in Santon for $40 million a month, and they'll just go rent a building in Mauritius for, I don't, I don't know. 80 exactly. million rupees or whatever mm-hmm. a month. So, um, <clears throat> it's, it, I don't, I don't see business necessarily rising up, but the individual, mm-hmm. the question is, is if the individual within the middle class has enough mm-hmm. institutional power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, many people argued against Helen Ziller's tax revolt saying, well, I, I pay PAYE. Uh, my HR department takes it off my salary before it hits my account. So even if I wanted to, mm-hmm. um, I can't really do this. Uh, so, I think the middle class uprising is unlikely. I think the way we see the middle class uprising is that they emigrate. Absolutely. Yeah, they do. I think, I think that's, the, that's the best example of a real mm. tax revolt. They turn around and go, screw mm. you. I mean, earlier this week, Ramon tweeted out about it, quite a popular tweet in the end from our, from our account, um, with regards to South Africa wanting to bill foreign, uh, um, expats uh, mm-hmm. tax. So if you're in the UK and you earn a salary in the UK and you live there uh, – <laughs> But you hold a South African passport and you have a tax number, I would imagine. They want to say, well, you earned a hundred thousand pounds this year and therefore, uh, you are going to pay us 30 yeah. or 40 percent of oh, anything over a million around 45 percent. Good luck collecting us. Yeah, good luck collecting it. But secondly, what is the point of being a South African citizen then? Yeah. At the absolutely. end of the day, just give up your passport. That's yeah, exactly give, what will happen. Give it up totally. Yeah. You're already there. You're already halfway. Mm. If you're in England, I'm sorry if you live there. It's a terrible place. <laughs> Mad but, Island. Yeah. Yeah. A nation of shopkeepers, as my hero once <laughs> said. Um, you, know, you know what's hilarious about this is the Frenchman criticizing the British. But anyway, <laughs> they killed the aristocracy at, at the Battle of Agincourt. So fuck them. Um, but no, but I mean, you already live in Dubai. You've been living there for five years. You're, I don't know, a camel trainer. You make $20,000 a, a month because camel training is really popular. Um, and then the government says, okay, cool. You know, anything over a million rand a year, we're going to tax you 45%. For fucking what? Mm. You don't use the roads. You don't use any services in South Africa. It is just theft. Absolutely. Like utter, yeah. utter theft. And to assume that expats will, will approve of this in any way rather than just tell the passport to go get fucked. Well, that's exactly what will happen. Yeah. If you're not getting any benefit for your tax, why pay for it? Why actually con- contribute? Which, <laughs> which brings us right back to the original 
question that the middle class receives very little benefit yeah. for, for what, their tax what, contributions. So what why, the, why would they pay it? Why do they continue to pay it? It's, it's the threat of prosecution for not paying tax. Mm. That, that's the only thing that keeps the tax system going. But a tax revolt, uh, I've spoke, I spoke about this last week, was um, a tax revolt will start at municipal level. You will stop paying your rates and taxes, first of all, because they're the easiest taxes to stop. But that's already happening. Exactly. And it's already happening. And there's, there's no consequence to that either. Well, there was for me. Yeah. <laughs> I paid late once and they wanted to cut me off. Because you're an individual. So if your whole community stopped paying, what, what could they do? Yeah, you've you know, seen that in Soweto. You know white people on the suburbs, Rob. We can't even no, agree on right. what color fucking, absolutely. what but, color the speed bump must be. No, totally. But you'll, <laughs> we will get to that breaking point, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. That breaking point will come. We, we all sort of go, yeah, enough. If I'm tired of eating cake. Just stop, just stop paying. <laughs> let's it. go. Stop paying. Yeah. Um, and it's got to be a mass. Well, movement. the middle class also does this in some other ways. They, you know, rate, you talk rates and taxes, but. You know, a lot of people are putting in solar who mm. can't afford it. Solar, um, uh, uh, water systems into their houses, boreholes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it, it's just a matter of time before it becomes cost effective to go completely off the grid. Yeah. Um, and then when you talk about just normal rates and taxes mm. in terms of people to pick up your garbage and, and, and whatever they're meant to do with your other rates and taxes, you know, mm. fund the city. Um, well, Good luck on them doing anything to you. They've got to sue you, right? But they've got to sue uh, thousands or tens of thousands. So perhaps that's the breaking point for the middle class. That's about 11, 12 million people in this country. Mm. Um, okay. What about – it's not really – so it's, it's not really the, the, the lower class, but it's the lower to middle class, uh, I would guess. Class? Um, yeah, I don't mean it in a derogatory sense. Uh, um, working class just, is fine. Yeah, the working class. Blue collar. Um, yeah, whatever, whatever doesn't whatever work. Fuck that, it. man. This is a renegade report. We're not yet <laughs> yeah, to not offend people. Why, why are you trying uh, to? <laughs> if you're upset by lower class, then fucking be upset. Um, <laughs> the point is the people who live in, in, in greater poverty, the people who are reliant on things like social grants mm. uh, in their community. Not all of them are. A lot of these people are working, but in the families, certainly. A lot of kids are funded through um, child support grants. Um, we've got elderly people on pensions. Uh, that's how they get by. Mm. Uh, is that the breaking point I if that system fails? I, I definitely think so. Um, that's actually a very, very, very good point. Where we, we have almost 19 million people on, on social grants or 19 million social grants being issued every month. The, the reason is it up to 19 million? Almost 19 million. Wow, we were at 17 million a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. Almost 19 million. It's, it's, it's madness. When, when you have uh, that many people receiving so social grants um, and you have an, an issue which we saw recently with the SASA debacle where the, the payments were one week late, the, the government panicked. There was absolute panic there. There's going to be an uprising immediately from 19 million receivers of social grants, uh, although some people might receive two, so it's probably about 13 million that, that actually receive them. But that's a significant number of, of people who could. Well, it's 13 million you receive, maybe mm. roughly, but uh, it's it often entire families who supported on mm. one person's pension or one person's grant right. or for whatever reason, because um, people are, are living hand to mouth. Mm. Uh, but, but hold on, hold on. The working class or the poor, whatever the fuck you want to call them, they're really far more democratic than us. In terms of protest, yes, they are. There's, there's how many th a thousand protests a year these days? It's mm -hmm. up three hundred percent in the past ten years. That's a form of democratic action. I know maybe mm -hmm. we don't like the fact that they burn down 
clinics or something. Like, I think they should burn down mayor's houses first. <laughs> I mean, they could make it useful, right? Yeah. I mean, why don't they? <laughs> why don't they? Except for Des Van Rooyen, his house got burned down. More of that, please. <laughs> but we but, are but, not advocating violence. Just no? just putting it out there. Just just damage to state property. <laughs> the ANC did that for sixty years, and they were considered heroes. So we can do the same. Um, but they are far more democratic. Than, than, than us middle class I think people. you might be the first political prisoner in the, <laughs> yeah. po- in the post, in the post uh, sort of apartheid era. I'm not advocating for violence. You can't be violent against <laughs> bricks. Is all yours. You can't be violent against bricks. Uh, They're right. not animate objects. But they, the working class are already a lot more democratic and they want accountability far more than us because they actually rely on the state far more than us as well. Absolutely. We sort of get fleeced, right? The state just steals from us and we're like, okay, fine. It's... it's what is that term? It's like uh, it's like an expense of just living here. Mm. What is the term? The cost, of, investment doing, cost, the cost or, of doing or, business. Or a, yeah. As I say, if you pay a bribe, oh, it's the cost of doing business. Just yeah. add it to the balance sheet. Yes. That's what the middle class does. But the working class or the poor, they like protest and they strike and they do all sorts of things. That's a lot more democratic accountability. Mm. They took down the Northwest Premier, for God's sake. Supra, whatever his name is. Mm, yeah. I I haven't seen a mayor of a major city like resign over protest action, mm. but in the rural areas, it happens all the time. Absolutely, I think it's a. You know, why don't the middle class protest? Would probably be a, a good question. Because they well, pause. they do look ridiculous when they try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. every time the DA puts together one of those marches, and then they try to get like you know, because the DA is always trying to pretend like um, everyone's the same. You know, they also go down the equality bent. So they try to get some uh, white person from Parkhurst to toy toy in the front of the march. Um, and it always looks absolutely, you know, Jenny Chris Williams toy toying in the front of a march is kind of the, the image We're you the need sandwiches. to think of. <laughs> yeah. Um, We're going on know, a and where's my, you know, my dill um, <laughs> on the sandwich? domestic came in the backpack next to her to, to so, feed her sparkling water on the march. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, South Africa grew through an incredibly difficult time in its history um, mm. through protest. Uh, mm. You know, the, and the, the, those are the people we're talking about. These are people mm. who, who, who mm. if they didn't, their parents were part of protest. Um, um, there was these sort of two sides. You know, it was the government, and then it was it was protesters. And and we obviously have many um, historical. Uh, times in our history that we even remember to today, you know, Sharpville in 1976 and uh, all of these things, which are um, seminal events uh, mm. in, in the country mm. uh, and, and, and protests. So I think that's almost in the DNA of, of, of these populations, you know, the downtrodden in South Africa rise up yeah. uh, more commonly than the sort of middle class. I mean, the middle class's greatest claim to fame from apartheid is that they voted in the, in the referendum, the referendum to get yeah. rid of apartheid. But, yeah. you know, it's not, and a lot of people were were involved in some way in helping, but they generally were not on the front lines, you know, with, you know, throwing stones at, at, at police caspers. No, they weren't. And that's, that's also another good point is that, uh, if I think back to my childhood, living in the apartheid era, I was completely unaware of what, of what was going on. Completely unaware because we lived in a sheltered environment, sheltered in your in your suburbs. And oddly enough, I grew up in Parkhurst. But <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, it's worse now, though. They have like artisan food. It's just horrific. <laughs> absolutely, no, it was a diff- different suburb when I when I was a kid because I was there. No, I'm just, okay. <laughs> but we we lived in a sheltered life, and although protesting and a lot of protest action was happening, I didn't know it was happening. 
I didn't notice happening at all. And I think most of the people who've, or white middle class who've grown, grown up today are still unaware. We lived under an oppressive government and we became used to the idea that you don't question your government, you don't protest. The government takes control and the government, the government, is, government is knows best. The government knows best. Yeah. And that's why, I, I, in, in my opinion, that we don't, we don't protest. Whereas um, people who lived outside of that environment did grow up, as you say, in, in the protest environment, and they still continue to do that because it is effective. It gets people, it gets the powers that be to notice, wow, there's 10,000 people in the street knocking on my door. We're just 10 here. They're 10,000. We better do something to placate the masses. But that yeah, happen. Basically, middle class be more working class. In your attitude towards democracy But I actually want to talk to you So you were the co-founder of, of one of the biggest Civil society organizations Outa mm. right? So we had Wayne Duvenage on here And he seems okay Pleasant guy. Made sense mm. when we spoke to him But you, you and a few others Left Outer uh, quite a, a few years ago And then you decided to do something else For more participatory democracy So mm. What made Etols like the thing, you know, <laughs> that sort of broke the camel's back? Because that was the middle class's like camel's yeah, back. Yeah, it was broken. the first tax revolt. It was the first yeah. one, but on a real like visceral level. Mm. I remember being furious because I used to listen to 702 like a moron. Now I don't anymore. <laughs> but I was like, oh, Etols, like it's disgusting. We shouldn't yeah. pay it, whatever. Yeah. And then it happened. And it finally came into effect after five years of threats. And then like no one gives a shit. Absolutely. Anymore. Yeah. Um, so, what made Etols at the time when you formed it or were part of the formation? Mm. What made Etols like the straw? I, I think it, it was exactly that. It was the, sort of the final straw. The fight against Etols was never really a fight against not uh, uh, road taxes. It was it was a, a weapon that civil society had finally been handed to win a much bigger fight, and that that fight was um, a fight against a government who sort of lost touch with the touch with the people wasn't listening to the will of the people anymore and it was an easy fight because you could still use the road and just not pay and that was the whole thing so i started a, a movement before out it was called proudly e-tag free and the idea there was um don't get an e-tag because the system is designed to be to work at, uh, on an electronic level you know, that's the buy-in Exactly, yeah. So once you got an e-tag, you're registered and money came off, off your account automatically and, and so on and so on. And I realized that if you didn't get an e-tag, you could quite easily overburden the system with manual administration. So that whole movement took off like, like absolute wildfire. It really, it was a, a ground level up. Yeah, um, a lot of bumper movement. stickers on cars. At a the lot time. of bumper stickers on cars, bridges on, on banners, teams running across, handing, handing stuff out. It's an interesting point you raise because – Let's say we had a relatively efficient government. Let's say we had Helen mm. Ziller's capable state, um, which, yeah, whatever. But um, <laughs> let's say we had that. And so the government kind of delivered on what they said they were going to do. People generally felt that the government was involved in a positive aspect of their life rather than mostly mm. negative. Uh, we hardly ever heard of politicians um, scandal-free for the most part. Sometimes they cheat on their wives or something like that. Uh, and... Then I imagine etols would have happened and no one would have cared because people would have gone, well, they built some new roads. Uh, well, they built one extra lane and they uh, kind of renovated the road. And now mm. the concrete barrier that I hit when I lose control in the rain, um, you know, is better than going into oncoming traffic, I suppose. Um, so I only die. Um, 
And yeah, they, I'm going to pay for that. Uh, you know, the point's been made by a lot of people that this happens all over the world. Mm. Um, if you drive into the middle of Sydney, for example, uh, you cannot drive into the middle of Sydney without an e-tag. If you do drive into the middle of Sydney without an e-tag, um, you will be broke by the time you drive out because the penalties for not having a tag are, are so high. Um, <clears throat> so this is not uncommon worldwide. Um, the company that they're using from Austria is, is in many countries for that exact reason. People generally tend to go, all right, well, the government provide the roads. The roads need to be paid for and re- you know, renovated every now and again, etc. Um, so it really is that the government was so useless, so hated, so ineffective uh, by the time ETOLs were, were, came in that people were like, look, this is at least something I can latch on to. Is that that's a exactly fair e- you know, estimation of what mm. took place? Mm. That's, that's exactly it. Uh, I, I truly to this day do not believe it was anything to do with, oh, it's going to cost me 2,000 rand a month extra. Because mm. if you look at the facts of ETOLs, it's capped at 260 rand a month. For anyone, yeah, and so it's exactly as so five hundred and twenty rand. The average middle class person is buying double that in coffee, probably a month. Precisely, precisely. So the fight was never against the financial burden that that civil society was going to face. It was simply that we'd had enough of everything else that was going on, and this was an easy way to say up yours, government. Straight and easy as that, and it was an easy fight. It was just. Yeah, and, and it worked really well. And it Alta, Alta, really well. Uh, really, yeah. really, really well. And Alta was born, and mm. and it's, it's it's still very large. It gets a lot of donations every month. Mm. So we had Wayne in here, and uh, yeah, no, nice guy. But then we spoke about the greater political ideology of the ANC and, and what they do, how they infiltrate, you know, organisations for resources and influence and. And the NDR. Right. Well, that's Mm. what I'm talking about. That's a great ideology. Mm. Do you have to be so blunt? Always. (laughs) You know me. Our listeners know. Heart on the sleeve, man. We are dog whistling to white supremacists. They know what we're saying. (laughs) Anyway. Sometimes you have to remind them. Sometimes, yes. White supremacists, not the, not the, not the brightest. So can you not talk about young, um, uh, white supremacists so much with young Mark in the studio, please? (laughs) Right. Young Mark, not on camera, but uh, young Mark's in the studio. That's how you're getting the video feed. Yeah. uh, We will talk about young Mark in a moment. Um, so, Alta brings in Makozi Koza, who was mayor of some shithole town somewhere, and she's very brave because she doesn't like Zuma, like 30 million other people in this country who don't like Zuma. But anyway, Makozi Koza is really brave. She doesn't like beer and black men together because it's racist. And she's head of campaigns or something directed at Alta. And I, we mentioned to him, like, this is a bad idea because the NDR, she's going to come in, infiltrate, take over, put her people in positions of influence in the organization. And it's just all those nice, lovely donations to outside are going to go straight back to the fucking ANC. Or towards <laughs> ANC ideology. Right. And he's yeah. like, nah, that's all nonsense. No, and then I thought, okay, outside is not something I would give my money to. So, I mean, as someone who's been in civil society for a very long time and who've co-founded Alta and various other things. I mean, this is a real threat, right? The, yeah. the, the NDR is a real threat to civil society because you can be in the ANC and be against ETOLs. Yes. Like the Houting ANCs are against ETOLs. Yeah. But yeah. the national one told them, no, ETOLs will stay. So, I mean, it's not, it's not difficult to be against corruption or against ETOLs, right, and still be within the ANC. But it's a real threat. The uh, existential threat of the ANC is that 
they infiltrate you and take all your shit, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day. So yeah. as someone who's worked in civil society for a long time, has that, have you seen that as a real threat or is it a fairly new phenomenon? Um, I think it's, 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 it's a definite threat. And I'll, I'll take it out of the civil society environment to have a look at a, in the organization I'm in now, which is COPE. When COPE broke away from the ANC, there was a definite plan from from the ANC, which was well funded, to actually get in, get into in, into into the insides of COPE and destroy it from 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 within. And civil society definitely, without it, our faces the same threat. It's interesting you say that just on a tangent quickly, mm. because. Uh, you know, a lot of people have supposition that the same is happening within the DA, um, that there are people in the DA who speak exactly like people in the ANC do, hold very similar ideas, mm. push those ideas and those ideologies. Uh, so it's, it's just interesting that, that you know, there's a, there's a track record. And so that doesn't seem to be as much of a conspiracy theory. No, no. Well, it's… I don't think it's even a conspiracy theory. I think it's fact. It definitely does exist. When we first started this conversation, I also said that you, to get into a, into an organization or into government, you've got to change it from the inside because you can't change anything from the outside. And the same applies, applies there. If you want to destroy an organization, the easiest way is from the inside out. Mm. My father so, um, often used to say to me, you can't change city hall until you're mayor. Um, and so, it's true. That's Absolutely the best true. way to go yeah. about it. It's, it's a strong system and it's designed to, to protect it. It expects attacks from the outside and it responds in an appropriate way. But you place someone on the inside and you break just one wheel and the whole system collapses. So it's – yeah, where were we going with that? With oh, no. I was just talking about the NDR as being existential threat to, to civil society. So mm. you've been involved in, in various different things from probably ETAG to Outer now to – what's it called? Dear, Dear, South, Dear Africa. South Africa. Dear South Africa, which is mm. a participatory demo, democratic mm. platform. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, have you come up you know, against resistance from – Without a doubt. From people that you thought, okay, they want to be my friend, but they – Without Look a dodgy, doubt. and uh, I'm worried about what they want to do with with my institutional platform. I mean, can you give a few examples or yeah. or the methods they use or things like that? Definitely. Well, the whole Dear South Africa thing started in Cape Town. Actually, it was a, a platform called Dear Cape Town, and it was born from the city of Cape Town wanted to introduce the uh, drought charges on 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 water, and they they invited public comment as as you have to do. Uh, and they, but they didn't make it easy enough for for people to participate and and submit their their comments. There were a few petitions floating around, but petitions are, are completely ineffective. So um, I opened up that platform, which uh, allows people to make a comment, and it sends an email directly to the city, and that's the city council as an official uh, submission, which they have to by law acknowledge and consider in the decision making process. So. What happened there is we opened up the platform and the city received 57,000 uh, public comments from, from, from the public, obviously. And they, they looked at this and they were overwhelmed because they'd norm, they're used to receiving about 200 to 500 at, at, at the most. And they eventually dropped it and then dropped, dropped the old drought charge because they couldn't deal with the amount of, of comments coming through. So they, Re, reformed it into something else, called called it a different kind of charge, and and uh, reinstated it. Well, we picked it up again, opened up another public platform, and they received sixty one thousand. 
uh, comments from, from, from the public. But there again, we, we started getting, because we had little public groups all, all over the place promoting it on social media and, and so on. And every now and then you'd get an anon, anonymous person who gives you information from the city and says, yeah, this is, I've got some inside info. This is how it happens. This is what you need to do. You need to go, go this route. And so you're all keen and eager at, at the beginning. You, you take their advice and you go and you hit a brick wall. And suddenly the city blocks that blocks that route because it's almost like they knew that you, you were coming. And on social media, it, it's extremely easy to have infiltrators and, 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 and get them. And you create a fake profile and you can influence the whole conversation around a topic. So definitely, yeah, the, the infiltration by the, your opponent is is an, is an obvious obvious task. Um what we call them, agent provocateurs, or <laughs> use, use example of the DA. Yeah. So, like we bang on about the NDR and the ANC, but obviously the DA participates in it as well. Well, definitely do they? They follow a lot of the same sort of ideology and dealing. <laughs> That's not even ANC light. That's like ANC Junior at this stage. <laughs> so now you've seen ANC offshoot. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> oh wait, this is a ring. That's the most polite thing we've said on this whole podcast. Yeah, <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> Yeah. So I mean, like, like something like Altag, you you left a few years ago. I mean, do you think mm. that that thing like will exist in in five years in any meaningful way? Honestly, I I don't think so. You know, you you measure a a civil society organisation by by its impact on society, and when when you have a a corporate mindset within within a civil society organisation, it's a recipe for for disaster, because you base your success on on growth. On the internal organisation, so oh, we're getting this much more money every month. We, our staff has grown grown by this much. We're taking on this this many more projects. But civil society needs to be measured on the impact you're having. Mm. So although your organisation is growing, it's getting fat, just like like our government is doing the same thing. But you're having a less and less and less impact on on what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, it's yeah. a self fulfilling prophecy of death, really, because yeah. what's happening in an organization like that is you get more and more money, but unless you're willing to fight the NDR, which yeah. is essentially uh, the, the it's, it's the uh, map or plan to get to socialism within South yeah. Africa. And unless you fight that tooth and nail, we will get there all very close. Uh, that is proven where that leads yeah. everywhere in the world many times over. And so, that money that comes in every month will dry up very quickly the closer you get to that end goal. Mm. Um, so unless you're willing to really fight that, you're, 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 you're doomed because those funders are going to disappear. They're either going to leave the country or um, they're not going to have any income to pay for you anymore. Absolutely. I still yeah. think you're looking at this at a, at a far more sophisticated level than necessary. Mm. It's, you know, for me, civil, like, like the Institute of Race Relations, right? It's the most influential think tank probably in Africa by a long shot. They don't, mm. I, I've seen the financials of a member, so they send the financials because as a think tank, that's what you do. I, they don't make, they, they run their place in a million rand a month, right? Mm. And a lot of it is, is crowdfunding. They've got mm. six or seven thousand people that give 50 or 100 rand a month. 
the all their funding has dried up because they don't want to do BE in the think tank. Mm. So mm. and that's how they get to you. They say, oh, you know, civil society, are you BE compliant? Oh, if you're not, then you know, FMB can't support you because we only support BE funded things by the <laughs> state. So that's how the NDR works as well. They infiltrate yeah. the way you fund it. They infiltrate mm. who you hire. They infiltrate and determine <clears throat> and influence many many things. It's not just about taking someone on the board who is an ANC person. It's about the regulator framework they put around you that just yeah. constrains you completely totally agree and yeah. and you can and you cannot fight that through a corporate mindset no no you cannot absolutely not because the corporate mindset uh, loves, loves the hierarchical structure which is very very rigid and it requires uh, strong regulation and strong rules and, and everything else to follow whereas um, civil activism you, you can't have a hierarchical structure and it's it's about it's more of a creative environment where I see something now and I, I need to come up with a solution and, and, and I, I find those ways and I need to break rules in order to get there. And when, when you have that corporate mindset, you don't, you can't break the rules. And as you get more and more people in who follow the NDR, you just instill more and more, more uh, stronger framework and, and destroys any civil society organization. And an interesting thing is, um, you can't have BEE structures and and so so on in a civil society organisation. You cannot, because then you're not actually getting the right person for the for for the job. Well, that has, just, that's just general just, life. You've <laughs> taken the populist approach again, which 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 destroys any any movement, especially in civil society. Yeah, but you cannot, it needs to be strong and. But focused. you cannot use the rules of the state to fight the state. No, no, you can't. Absolutely, you can't use the imposed laws on you. You have to break those laws. I'm not talking about. Criminal law. I'm just talking about regulatory law. It's bigger than that. Mm. You can't socially engineer civil society. That's a, that's the whole point. Every exactly. time you try to socially engineer civil society, it ends up badly. This is once again proven. Uh, you, 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 social engineering is bad, mm. um, and it is unnatural. Mo- most importantly, so when you try to implement it, yeah. Um, yeah. it just in- inevitably destroys whatever. It's applied to so yeah. civil society. You try to social engineer the the race of people who are representing the group or whatever it is. Um, that just isn't going to work out because that group likely didn't come together based on that particular social engineering factor. No, true, and they they sort of follow one ideology, which you can't even you can't have that in a, in a civil society movement either because it's such a dynamic environment that. There are different influences at, at different moments, and the the ideal situation in within a civil society movement or even a political party is to have a difference of opinion. So you can, from people who have dif- differing opinions, you, you can formulate a, a proper solution or or, or or an example. If you have a sort of totalitarian mindset, and it happens in civil society where you, where you have one personality who dominates it, dominates everything, and Try, yeah, exactly. Well, what was that, George Soros? Especially if he's a major funder. Well, then, 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 you, then you got a problem because you can't really mention that on the podcast. Yeah. But, but here's the thing with people like, like, like civil society. Like Soros is seen as a philanthropist, right? Mm. And and you know, it's his money. He should be able to do with it how he wants. <laughs> what I'm concerned about is a very corporate structure. He funds 146 different institutions in this country, mm. uh, anywhere from equal education to Africa Check to everything. These are all actually like sort of little businesses, right? They mm. also run like they've got boards and shit like that yeah. for the most yeah. part. But the problem is that there's no skin in the game for these people. that They don't have a mandate from the public mm. to do something. 
Whereas Afriform does. Yeah. Because they, yeah. they get 200,000 people giving them 10 or 50 rand a month. Yeah. And those people will stop giving them money if yeah. they don't do their bidding. Exactly. Correct. Like, I'm worried Correct. about the skin in the game aspect. Mm. So Soros mm. gets where he is because he's just so fabulously wealthy. Mm. Mm. But on, and so are the Koch brothers on the other side, right? And, and they both can do what they want. You know, they do what they want to do with their money. I'm not going to tell them what to do. But in the long term, that is not going to work out well. No. Um, mm. Because I think Ad Forum will be here in 100 years. I don't know if mm. equal education will. Mm. I totally agree. And then… Well, equal education will have achieved their goal in a, in about ten or twenty years' time because all schooling will be absolutely terrible and equal. <laughs> and equal. Mm. That's that's an interesting point. Where we're really getting there. Most public schooling is down. completely terrible and equal. Yeah. Yeah. Equality brings down. It never sort of raises up. Well, it doesn't allow you to raise to... up because the bottom line is it, it it will not allow a level above ever. Yeah. It has to, everything has to be down at the. It, it, it can be all at the top level, but that's mm. not possible because that's not um, the natural order of things, mm. um, either biologically, socially, anything. Uh, I had a greater point though. Yes, You're talking about biology and shit like that. No, I'm, I'm talking about broader concepts. But carry on. <laughs> yeah. So the big problem I think with civil society generally is funding, mm. right? So you need a movement. In, in, like Alta, where they say we're fighting for your rights, give us fifty euro a month, and that sort of works well. Um, you have done multiple different things in civil society. Is funding an issue ever, or do you <clears throat> find a way like to tap into people's intuition that says this is actually really wrong? I'm going to fight for it. Well, people latch onto a cause from an emotional level rather than a than a logical level yeah. most of the time. So you just got to find that emotional hook and. Present it in, in a way that you've got to identify your, your potential market's um, top value and show that this issue in civil society is threatening their top value. People will, will do anything to defend their top value. And their top value differs, differs depending on where you are on the social ladder. For, for me, it might be good education for my kids. If that's under threat, I'm, go, I'm going to defend that. And mm. if you present me a solution that, that uh, defends that, that top value, I, I will, I will commit to so it. So you're creating lines, the lines level. in the sand that yeah. were crossed. Exactly. So, throughout different uh, sectors of society, you got to find what it was. In in art and etals, it was pretty simple. Um, people were faced with uh, th- threatening summons from Sandro. I haven't paid etals. I've got a ten thousand rand uh, outstanding bill. Sandro's uh, threatened to issue summons. Oh, okay. So, all, all we did at Arta was say, well. If you issued with a summons and you're a contributing member of ARTA, we'll, we'll defend it on your, on your behalf. Boom. Instant 4,000 members a month coming and paying, paying whatever they were, worth, were paying. But that in itself is, is, is unsustainable because should that threat disappear, you're going to lose all your funding yeah. straight, straight away. Mm. So at some point, you've got to switch it over to say, well, actually, it's you paying for a greater cause here, and this is the greater cause. And that becomes very difficult because fighting corruption, how do you get people to contribute towards an organization when your, your sole focus is fighting corruption? Because it means a different thing to you. It means a different thing to you and a different thing to me. Um, and it's so far removed from that, that top value that I think, ah, oh, it's such a big problem. Giving giving money, it's not going to make any difference whatsoever. So what what the IRR has, has done is they 
take each in, individual. I mean, you see what goes on in Facebook. Every every topic that they talk about has a, a call to action. They a call for funding. That's the right approach because they're tackling many different issues and appealing to many different markets. But they identify the emotional hook and say, this is the issue at hand. If it appeals to you, why not help us fight it? Yeah. I think that's where, to me where art has gone wrong. They've, it wasn't an argument that we had quite, quite often when, when I was still there. Is it, what are people contributing to? And you can't, what are we selling at the end of the day? If you take it into pure marketing terms and uh, commercial terms, what is art selling? Nothing. You can't say they're selling hope. <laughs> because what is hope? Really, come on. <laughs> you know Barack Obama. <laughs> no, exactly. We're sending hope. Yeah, great, great, great. Why do I have to pay for hope? Mm. That's a good thing. And <laughs> the the question that, that I always put out was, um, why would I give an organization money when a political party can do exactly what you're doing but for free? And, and the answer to that question is it shows where civil society's value proposition is. If you can't answer that question, then then you're dead in the water. I think in South African context, we want civil society organisations to really be taking on that that political party. So they mm. we we want someone to be standing up to the government. Um, as I said, people going about their daily mm. jobs, lives, not interested. Uh, they, they're not. They're not really keen on going to parliament and making noise. They're not. They're not really. Um, I mean, you've done very good stuff with submissions, for example, and, and getting people involved. But even even the EWC mm. side of the argument, there was what nine hundred thousand odd submissions. I think it was on mm. on that. Somewhere close. Um, Seven hundred. Yeah. Okay, it was it was it was a lot. Yes, yeah. yeah, stop spreading fake and, news. And <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, that's that's good. That's good. But there are far more landowners in this country, or far more people who that EWC will affect. Um, okay. Travel lands, as an example, uh, would, would affect tens of millions. Um, people who actually own homes is far more than seven hundred thousand or nine hundred thousand people. So the, the number of submissions should have been far greater. I think people go, all right, I want an outer or a dear South Africa or whatever it is. I want that organisation to be the noisemaker. Um, I want them to Parliament's busy going through their motions, and I want this organisation to be the organisation that sort of trips them up. Mm. And that's why people tend to support these things. Um, the minute it becomes clear that either organization can't do that anymore or they're in bed with the government, uh, that's when the the sort of it, it disappears. The, the the support disappears. Absolutely right. Is that yeah. that's a fair assessment? Absolutely, it's a spot on assessment, and I think that's why um, Afri Forum has been so so successful in 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 pretty much everything they do is because they take a stance and they stick with it. Basically, then they don't deviate left or right. They just they just go. This is where we want to go, and we we're gonna nothing's gonna push us off the path. As soon as you start uh, bowing down to whatever it is, public pressure, or you start you too scared to offend people, or you want to please everyone, then again that goes towards a populism thing. Well, then you become the DA. Exactly. Exactly. What, what do you make of the? You know, public pressure is interesting in the age of social media because. I mean, I'm not sure we ever really knew what the public pressure was mm-hmm. um, in the sense that we've always relied on polling to some extent. We, we've never gone to every single member of the population and gone, what do you think 
on apartheid? What do you think about mm. Jim Crow laws in the United States? Mm. What do you think about, you know, these are not things that are done at an individual level. They poll a thousand or 10,000 or whatever the, 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 mm. the number required to get a, a statistical value is. And then they say, all right, that's where, where the public perception is. But in the age of social media, now the public perception is driven by trends, tr- what's trending on Twitter, um, mm. you know, what people are liking on Facebook, how many things, how many times did something get shared. And to me, that seems like it's a very false perception of the reality. Um, people are making this mistake both ways. I mean, someone commented about how our YouTube uh, channel uh, had something, you know, 400 or 500 subscribers uh, a little while ago. It's just been started. But, you know, and so therefore that's who listens to us. Yeah. 300 racists apparently listen to us, right? <laughs> but the actual good. numbers are tens of thousands. So yeah. the, 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 that's the actual data. But because in the social media space, um, you know, there's a number there, then someone runs with that and that becomes the sort of the reality online and then the reality online somehow gets interpreted into the, the real life space. We, we we see this with political parties getting influenced all the time by mm. social media narratives. Uh, you know, we're hitting on the DA quite a lot here, but the DA does it all the time. Yeah. Um uh, the Ashwin Willemser thing, they, they fell into that trap on, on social media. They fall in, they fell into the trap on, on expropriation without compensation. They got a whole bunch of EFF bots essentially, or even if they're not bots, they're people who clearly can't think for themselves. Um, they, they just swarm them by going, Oh, EWC, you don't want, you know, black people to have land and you mm-hmm. stole the land and, you know, and then they go, Yeah, yeah. So we don't agree with the EWC, but we sort of do. From a position of we don't, right? Mm. Uh, it's why I have a lot of respect for Cope as an example, because Cope from the beginning has said no. And then when people said, but you're racist, they said no, right? And then when people said, but you don't want good things for black people, they said, no, we're still against EWC. Um, all of your suppositions are wrong, mm. but we're against the principle and we'll explain why. And so social media is having an incredible effect on what people think public perception is what people think civil society stands for absolutely right absolutely right the 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 trick with social media is to give it time because it moves so quickly i mean the twitter opinion and a trend can can happen in the morning and then it's gone by the afternoon so the if you are reactionary and and a lot of political parties and and civil society movements are more reactionary than than, than proactive then you're going to be influenced by those immediate things that, that happen on social media. And that's where a lot of them do, do fall, fall down and fall into the, into those dangerous, dangerous traps. And once you, once you've fallen down that road, the stigma is attached to you and you, you can't, you cannot shake it. So the trick is to just wait a while and see how it plays out. Just watch from the sidelines and let, let, let the other guys make fools of themselves because they, they, they will and you know they will. And then, Play, come up with a decent strategy to, to counteract it. So, you were civil society fighting the state for years and years and years, and now you sold out. <laughs> <laughs> like men, apparently, many other black South Africans over the years, they sold out. You, not black, maybe you are, sorry. I don't want to mis, mis, oh, misrace you. Is that a word? Cameras, yeah, no. Misra- oh, they are cam- oh, there are cameras. I got proof now. <laughs> he might be transrace. Transracial. <laughs> transracial. So, weird. you joined Co. Identified. You're 1024th black. Can, can, I, can, I, can I pose my question, please? Just because the camera's here, you don't need to. Act like it's a bloody service. This is how I act all the time. Have you not listened to the podcast the last 150 episodes? <laughs> Carry on. So anyway, 
So you've sold out. You've joined a political party, COPE, and you've been appointed the Deputy Secretary General of COPE. I still have no idea what a General Secretary does at like any fundamental level. I know it's an important, it's like a manager, I suppose, yeah. of a party. So why are you joining people that you fought against? Not COPE particularly, politicians. Um, now. Mm. Okay, well, What's up with that? Uh, I've always been against um, politicians. I've never trusted them, and I've been and, and started off as an anarchist at, at heart. And <laughs> a man after my own heart. Yes. And, and until I realised that it was an ideology and unobtainable. And I, did you see the look he's giving me? Now? Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't worry, you're a hundred percent right. <laughs> Please carry on. <laughs> anyway, so but then I graduated to being sort of libertarian at, at heart, and then. Um, I'm all I'm all for the the notion that don't don't give me laws that tell me how to live my life. I'm all for laws that uh, protect others from my actions, but I'm I'm responsible enough to look look after myself. I don't need laws that uh, protect me from myself. That's just ridiculous. So again, I've I've always been against against politicians and against political movements because I've seen it as a total farce. But um, being in civil society for ten years, and especially from from the Etol saga and from 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 Arta and so on, I got to see the back end of of how politics and 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 political parties work. And I, I realised that you actually need a strong partnership with between civil society and and politics, and it's got to be based on trust. And if it's not based on trust, then obviously it, it'll it'll fall apart. The, the political system and the governance system is, is very well protected from, 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 from within. And I formed, I got to see the back end of, of all the political parties. And for me, COPE was, was one that had their feet on the ground more, more than any of the others. It were, they're, they're more of a civil activist movement than, than a political party in the sense that they, they see themselves as, as one of the people and equal to the people. Rather than trying to rule over them, it might be because they're smaller opposition. Until they win power, yeah. yeah until they win power, but yeah, you, know, you never know how that how the future is going to play out. But from just from dealing with them from a, a, a sort of the back inside point of view, and not from a member of the public point of view, that I was, I was quite encouraged by what happened. And about three years ago, I was, I was helping them with a couple of uh, social strategies and. Uh, marketing side and, and, and social media and, and, and so on. And um, I thought, oh, they, they've got a system of direct democracy, which allows any COPE member to vote directly for the leadership and recall that leadership. And none of the other parties have, have that in place. They have, you can elect for uh, the NEC, but the NEC sort of yeah. decides or the federal who the leadership is. Or the, the pilot Co- bureau or whatever. Or whatever, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. Or the, or the FedEx or, or whatever else I had to bring that in. But, um, COPES places the ultimate power with their members. And it's a policy that, that they want to bring to, to national government as well where civil society and, and people have the ultimate power to elect their leaders directly and to recall them should they, should they not be performing. And that really appealed to me as, as a civil activist. I thought, wow, that actually shifts the, the concentration of power from, from the top to, to the grassroots level. I thought I could get involved with a party like that and actually make a difference from, 
from from grassroots up. So I became a member of of COPE, and uh, after not voting for since I think ninety four was the last time I voted because <laughs> I just lost lost. I thought okay, now now I'm actually going to dive in head first, and I became a member, started interacting with with the leadership on a more personal level, and. Yeah, when the elections came up, I was I was convinced to put my application in to become uh, general deputy general secretary, and I got elected. It was quite. It was a shocker for me. I was, what? Okay, <laughs> here I am. And what what I do from now? No, it's really. And you've cool. grown the Greater Mantashe uh, yeah, yeah, beard yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. I mean, that's what's that's what's impressive. I think you know it's dedication to the cause, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite it's quite rare for it's rare for a relatively new member to become absolutely with a leadership role within a few short years or months or however long it's been. So we had uh, Mr. Lakota on here um, mm. last year, and I I really like him. I think he's a great guy, affable. Smart, knowledgeable, part of the history. Yeah, yeah, you know, good history, but oi, consensus seeking, not consensus seeking. Hold on, two thousand and one in Beckyite to the core. Mm. If the government can do something better, then we should do it better. Uh, I'm not. He doesn't trust people with guns. He wants a better police force. He doesn't. Yeah, it's uh, this very. As a person, great in terms of, of policies and ideas about society. Mm-hmm. Really like 1990s neoliberal thing. And, and, and that's fine to a large degree. But do you think, I mean, are you infiltrating it from within and changing <laughs> it? Like, uh, Nancy does to everything else. Like, are you trying to do that? Because it's yeah. only, as you said, it's, it's the party with direct, mm. direct democracy that doesn't, the other parties don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, what are the long-term goals for COPE? I mean, how the, how are the prospects for this election looking? Mm. And hopefully, if you do get some support, what it, how is that going to manifest mm. later on? Well, the, the prospects are looking good. I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen how uh, more popular it has, has become. And COPE appeals to, I'd, I'd like to say, a more in, intelligent, intelligent crowd. Well, maybe not more intelligent, but more of a critical thinker. Whereas people are now questioning the DA. So you have your DA voters who are going, something's not right here. What are the other options? They are now looking at, looking at COPE. And the same is happening from, from the ANC side and from, I don't think it's happening from the EFF side, but are they critical thinkers at all? But it, we're definitely attracting that sort of critical thinker market. It's even, um, libertarians are, are, are kind of going, mm, there's some good, good hope here. There's, there's something going on there. I think, you know, and I alluded to it earlier. I think what is what is really fresh about the uh, I'm hating that word, but what's really <laughs> fresh about the about cope at, at the moment in our political landscape is sticking to principle um, and being being willing to go. This is where we stand on a topic. We're going to stay with it. Uh, it's our position. Yes. If you don't like it, mm. okay. We're not trying to be the broad church. We're not trying to target the sort of majority of voters we think Mm -hmm. will only vote if we think a certain way or we stand with a certain position. Um, 
It's that social media influence. It's that mm. misunderstanding of where the populace is, what's important to them. It's ignoring IRR polls, which say things like race are not important to people. Exactly. Things like BE is not important to mm. people. Um, you know, a lot of these things that we, the political parties push are not a- actually what what matters um, and so being willing to stand on principle I think has has got you a lot of has got you a lot of support mm. um, I am hopeful like Ramon says I am hopeful that there is more of a mood to, to and a move to understand uh, that people should be left to be more free mm. uh, and less controlled and that in an in a utopia yes a government would manage everything brilliantly and all our lives would be great. But the reality is that that doesn't happen because humans are fallible and humans run governments. Mm. Um, and the more power you give them, generally the more fallible they become. So uh, I hope there's a move towards uh, less control and less attempt to get control. But the truth is, is I don't think Cope's going to win the next election. No, of course not. Um, and so good, at least we've got a politician who's not being like unrealistic and doing that whole thing. No, no, we believe we can win. <laughs> um, so you're not going to win the next election. And I think it's good to have a party like Cope in government saying things like we fundamentally disagree with you on these positions and we're not mm. moving, mm. whether well, look, you tell us it's unpopular or not. Yeah, well, look, uh, Cope has no ambitions to win. The, well, we do have ambitions to win one day, but we are realistic and we're not, we know we're not going to win. These, these elections. Uh, if you think anybody other than the ANC is going to win it, you're on a different planet, <laughs> quite, yeah. quite honestly. So the, the idea is to grow the presence and the number of seats in, in Parliament so you can have a greater influence in the decision-making process and mm. hopefully influence um, politics again from, from the inside and, and influence government to make the right decisions in the best interests of of society as a whole, whichever society that 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 might be, because different needs for 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 different people. Um, it's it's a it's it's quite a an interesting situation because we do uh, attract a very very different crowd and sticking to our guns on certain issues, one being BE and the other one, most definitely land expropriation without compensation, has hugely benefited. Um, so there's no confusion as to where Cope's stance is. Yeah, Whereas you, what nobody really knows where the DA stand, stands on it. Nobody really knows where the ANC stands. I know what their policy statement either. says, but mm. I also know what people in Parliament have then said and what other people have tweeted. So the yeah. problem is, and all of those things conflict each other. So yeah. that's the issue. And the popular stuff burns off very quickly. Mm. If, if, and the closer you come to elections, you'll see people start using their heads rather than their hearts. And uh, right now. People are saying, oh, but uh, Lakota is a sellout or Cope's, Cope's a sellout because they're going against uh, the whole, the whole populist, populist thing that people need, need land and, and, and so on. But you, we're gradually seeing those, those very same people after, after we expose uh, the, the, the truth behind it all and give them the facts, they, they kind of wake up and go, okay, right. Okay. I see your point of view now. You're actually, you're actually right. This is a good policy. Let's, let's get behind you on this. And working with, with civil society organizations like, um, Afri Forum and the IRR and, and, and others who, who hold solid positions and don't waver from those only, only benefits, benefits us as, as well. I know it's a contentious point where everyone thinks Cope's are extreme right now because we're siding with Afri Forum. It's not the case at all. Do you agree with one all. of their 
positions. We, we agree with one of their positions, mm. and it's a good so position. So if, if, if Afri Forum agrees that people should be given antibiotics when they have a bacterial infection, then they're right wing, you know, and you would agree <laughs> with that, you know, that would be right. This is the problem, right? Exactly. You can't, you can't have any opinion. If any opinion is held by an organization you disagree with mm. or you consider whatever, right, left, whatever, mm. then immediately that opinion becomes toxified with that view. And, yeah. and so it's no, but that's the thing with consensus seeking behavior. Yeah, there has exactly to be consensus, right. yeah. but about a fucking solid principle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not just consensus around bullshit, mm. uh, which is what a lot of people uh, mistake consensus for. Mm. Uh, like, I mean, Italy is run by five political parties. Five. <laughs> yeah. Through a, a populist alt-right Government, come on! Yeah. No, they both—they all agree immigration is is bad for Italy. That's it. But they're Marxists and <laughs> and, and right wingers and centrists and Berlusconi. I mean, come on! Yeah. That's consensus seeking. They all—it's all based on one thing, on one exactly. solid issue. Yeah. So, what is that? That uniting thread. That's what you got to exactly. actually identify. And if Kobe's right? doing that with. Uh, with every forum and the IR and who knows mm. who else, I don't mm. know the inner workings, but yeah, go yeah. ahead. Um, there's, well, go, go to the Zulu King. Totally. I think that's, that, that's what you've got to do is you've got to find that golden thread, whether it's on the left or on the right. Yeah. Th- there's always some common thread that everyone can, can work towards. And yeah, we've got to find that and, and nurture it and, and grow it. Absolutely. But you need a political party to actually do that. Civil society is always going to be fragmented, no matter, no matter what you do, because it's based on identity politics. And identity politics is, well, I think we're in the age of identity politics. Mm. It's a dangerous, dangerous situation because people don't go into the core issues. They just say, oh, great personality. I love what you're saying. Let's, let's go with you without actually reading a manifesto or, or an ideology of, of a party. How many, how many people know? How many people actually know about the NDR? Uh, very few. Very few. Very few. They think it's a conspiracy theory. Totally. It's like I'm totally. like an anti-vaxxer of politics. Yeah, but it's there on on the ANC's website. It's yeah. right that you can download. Well, it's and, been scrubbed and read it. recently. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Unchecked. They've removed it, but they also uh, admitted that as much during the land expropriation hearings. If you watched them, yes. And they yeah. said, yeah. It's an NDR plan. It's part yeah. of the NDR. Yeah. Uh, cool. We're going to have to call it. Unfortunately, so yes. Uh, thank you, Rob. Thank you so thank much. You. I see you haven't been on Twitter for a couple of years, so I'm yeah, not going to punch I, you on I Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> but what would you like to punt? Nothing, really. I just say, do go with what your heart thinks is, is best for you. I, I don't want to say vote cope, because you I think people did. should research all, all political parties. <laughs> research all political parties, find, but in depth. Read their manifestos, read their visions, read their read their ideologies, and vote for what suits suits you best. That's that thing. I know I'll I'll vote cope. So, but right, right. <laughs> but you, you'll, you'll break your 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 not voting exactly streak. first time in this. Yeah, yeah, Ron, do you want to? Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, thank you. It was a real pleasure um, to to learn more about uh, civil society because people just think like. NGOs and shit like that, but it's there's a lot more to it than mm. than meets the eye. And if you can marry political and civil, yeah, maybe it can work. I don't know. I have my <laughs> doubts, but best of luck. Nevertheless, you stand for for good principles, so I will support you on that. Awesome, thank you, Ramon. Awesome. You want to you want to introduce everyone to Young Mike? I don't know if Young Mike can catch himself there on a the camera. Does Young Mike? Maybe if you do that. If I do that, which way? Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. So if you watch the YouTube. Uh, Right. So you watch the YouTube feed. That's young Mike. Uh, so, Ramon? Yeah, and, and, and Mike is responsible for filming today. And we hope to make this quite a 
permanent feature of the show going forward. Um, so, Mike, well, thank you. It's been – it's weird. I feel like – it's weird being on camera, but uh. <laughs> yeah, the podcast will obviously carry on. Those of you who download the podcast, and um, we have made some changes to the RSS feed. So please, if you have been listening to the show, um, just make sure that it is still downloading and just recheck it every now and again over the next couple of months. Um, some changes happening sort of in the technical background, and we don't want to lose any of you. And there's big changes coming yeah. to, to the Renegade Report, but we're still finalizing. But um, I think everyone will be quite excited. I agree. I agree. So, as always, for the moment, you can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report. On Facebook, the page and the group, Ramon at Roman Kavanagh on Twitter, myself at Jonathan underscore wit. And if you'd like to donate towards the show because you enjoy the content we are producing for you for free, you freeloaders, then uh, please uh, do visit uh, our website. Yes. Well, they can. It's not finished, but go look at it. Hopefully it will be by the time this podcast comes out. (laughs) Renegadereport.ca forward slash support us. Um, if you want to uh, support us in any way, or you can just go to our PayPal link. We really appreciate any assistance we get. Thank you as always for listening and now for watching. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.